Welcome to Soccer Morning. Here's your host, Jason Davis. Good morning, everybody. Happy Wednesday. Here we are on Soccer Morning on Backhill.com. Let me just get that music out of the way, and we will begin proceedings here on a Wednesday covering uh, world soccer over the next, uh, I don't know, hour and change. Very good guest for you today, the return of Luke Moore from the Football Ramble. He'll join us in just a couple of minutes to go over the situation in the Premier League, uh, England in general. Yesterday we had an FA Cup match, which was notable. Uh, some some managerial rumors out there floating around. The rags are on top of it, guys. If you were if you were at all worried about whether or not Jose Mourinho would remain in the news, you can re- you can rest easy. You can just breathe, take a deep breath. It's out there. The, the rags are on top of it. So we will touch on several different rumors. I imagine with Luke Moore, in addition to sort of taking stock of the Premier League right now. Because, again, Leicester City, Leicester City, Leicester City, remaining on top of the uh, table after that big win on the weekend over over Manchester City. Uh, Arsenal coming up on this, this this weekend. I mean, we're, we're in the middle of the week in which, you know, last weekend Leicester City won over Manchester City. This weekend they get Arsenal. Arsenal comes off of a win against Bournemouth, sure, but they're chasing a title. Big match coming up this weekend. Huge, massive match coming up this weekend. Uh, we've got the news. I'm going to hit that here in a second. Uh, make sure you're following us on Twitter and tweeting at me. DavisJSN is my Twitter handle. Soccer morning, obviously, for the show. Uh, we will take whatever you're talking about this morning. And in fact, some, some things that have, have started to, um, to roll around the Twitter sphere that I'm going to get to probably after we talk to Luke, um, about the Premier League. And one of them is, uh, another story claiming something about saving American soccer. And yeah, that, that stuff always gets to me. I'm not going to, uh, rage over it, but perhaps we could talk about the story itself and, and yeah, maybe why the headlines have to be, uh, so provocative. Let's go with uh, the news right now. Reports from numerous English tabloids, like I said, suggest that Jose Mourinho has told close friends he will be the next manager of Manchester United. Mourinho was fired uh, by Chelsea in December after the defending Premier League. Ah, let me try that again. I went too fast. Mourinho was fired by Chelsea in December after the defending Premier League champions had slipped down into the relegation zone. Uh, certainly uh, not something anybody expected out of Chelsea. Mourinho loses his job. Now he's floating around uh, free. And uh, every major job that is either comes open or a manager is under threat, he will be linked to. He certainly coveted that Manchester United job. Current Man- uh, Manchester United manager Louis van Gaal is under immense pressure at the moment with much of the fan base disillusioned by the style of play, which leads me to a question of why on earth would you hire Jose Mourinho to take over if you have issues with the style of play? Okay, then. Michelle Kaufman of the Miami Herald reports that David Beckham is shopping shares of his planned Miami MLS expansion entry. Kaufman reports there have been, has, there has been quote, vast interest, unquote, from potential investors, including Roman Abramovich, owner of Chelsea, a Chinese group, American parties, multiple groups from the Middle East, including Qatari Sports Investments, who own PSG and obviously are one of the driving forces behind all of these sports interests that uh, the Qatar has gotten themselves into recently. Um, whether or not that would be a, an issue for American soccer, a Qatari investment, uh, I don't know. I very seriously doubt it. Beckham's group is aiming to finish the purchase of the plot for their Miami uh, stadium in the Overtown neighborhood by the end of the month. Um, that's uh, underway. The process is, is underway. Tim Laiwiki leading the charge there 
in Miami, set to meet with city and county officials today, as a matter of fact, to work on other issues, zoning and, uh, and the like, surrounding land acquisition and con- construction process. Uh, so there you go. Orlando City is in discussions with D.C. United to trade for the discovery rights to A.C. Milan midfielder Antonio Nocerito. United has cried foul over Orlando's tampering with Nocerino due to a United holding the exclusive MLS rights to negotiate with the Italian. Orlando's higher offer forces United's hands in this, in this case, forcing uh, the the trade talks. Uh, compensation is pending, obviously, depending on how those go. I'll be interested to see whether or not MLS steps up with additional punishment for Orlando City over the tampering claim. Um, if D.C. does a trade with Orlando, will they be satisfied with whatever they get back enough to avoid filing the tampering uh, claim against Orlando, which I imagine is the kind of thing that needs to happen in order for MLS to institute any punishment on Orlando City. But again, Orlando City has done this a couple of times. This tampering problem seems to pop up uh, more than it should. If you know the rules, follow the rules, unless you don't care. I mean, maybe Adrian Heath... And Phil Rollins and Orlando City just don't give a crap. They're, they're going to play by their own rules, and they'll pay the price. I, I don't know that that's a smart thing to do, but it would be definitely different in MLS, and I'd love to see them actually stand up and say, screw the rules, we're going after who we want to go after. Uh, West Ham has advanced past Liverpool 2-1 in the fourth round of the FA Cup. That was yesterday. That was a replay thanks to an extra-time goal from Angelo Ogbonna. Both teams hit the woodwork multiple times during that match. 120 minutes it took. The game saw the return of Philippe Coutinho to the uh, Liverpool lineup. Coutinho scored Liverpool's goal on a free kick just after halftime. One of those uh, low low uh, free kicks under the wall. Very smart from Coutinho. Ultimately, it did not lead to Liverpool advancing into the fifth round of the FA Cup. So more woe heaped upon Jurgen Klopp as he tries to figure out how to be successful at Liverpool. Sunderland winger Adam Johnson has pled guilty to one count of sexual activity with a child. Uh, the 28-year-old has previously denied three charges of sexual activity with a girl under 16, still maintains innocence on two of those charges. His case will be formally opened on Friday. Uh, the alleged crime saw Johnson arrested in March of 2015. That's not cool. Let's not, uh, let's not have this thing happen anymore. And uh, if Adam Johnson is guilty and he's pleading guilty to one account of this, then he deserves uh, whatever punishment is uh, on the books in England uh, for uh, for expect- exploitation and, and uh, activity with a child. There we go. All right, so that's uncomfortable. What's not going to be uncomfortable is the discussion that we're going to have with Luke Moore from the world-famous Football Ramble about the state of the Premier League. We'll touch on Klopp's troubles, on Mourinho, on Van Hall, on about the open Chelsea job because uh, Goose Hiddick's not going to be there forever. Who's going to step in there? Uh, I've got uh, Claudio Ranieri, certainly a worthy discussion topic as well as he leads Leicester City to the top of the Premier League table. They are now, I think we have crested that hill, they are now the favorites to lift the trophy at the end of the season. And uh, no one would have had that, uh, say, six months ago. All right, let's take a break. Here we go. Football rambles. Luke Moore joining us on Soccer Morning on a Wednesday. You're listening to Soccer Morning, and it's on Backheel.com. Stay right there. Facing the crowd, you're talking too loud.
Welcome to Soccer Morning. We are back on Soccer Morning. It's uh, backhill.com is the website these days. We're joined now on uh, Skype from Connecticut, as a matter of fact, by Luke Moore from the world-famous Football Ramble. He's uh, stateside, taking a little holiday. Uh, <laughs> although, when you go on a holiday, Luke, you're supposed to go... Uh, I, know, I know there's a good reason for you to be where you are, but you're supposed to go to sunshine and, and warmth and little uh, drinks with little umbrellas in them, not, not, yeah. not to the snow. <laughs> these, these climbs aren't warmer. They're, in fact, a great deal colder than what it was like when I left London yesterday. Uh, uh, it's about 25 degrees Fahrenheit uh, and about five inches of snow up here. Yeah, that's hey. Look, you, you know, it's been worse recently, so you're, you're sort of dodging a little bit of the, the the winter that we've already had. I should make it clear, I'm actually inside. Well, I'm yes, out, of course, I'm not outside. Right. Yeah. It's, it's fine inside. Yeah, <laughs> be better if you were doing this uh, from an igloo, but I don't think that's the case. <laughs> uh, let's uh, let's dive into some Premier League topics, Luke. Since we uh, uh, since we are in the in the in the winter, and you know, we're actually getting ready to come out of the winter. And, and remarkably, here we are again with Leicester City at the top of the table. Uh, that was a, uh, it w- that was a statement win on the weekend, was it not? That was absolutely massive. Yeah. I mean, for those who, who, who listen to the show regularly and, and who've watched the Premier League for a long time, they'll already know this, but this has not really happened before in Premier League football. For those of you, yeah, for those of you who don't know, I mean, the nearest I can think to this happening is when Blackburn won it in 95 and they had a lot of money behind them. Leicester haven't done that at all. Um, and they are, they're just showing no signs at all of letting up. We've seen teams do a flirt with the sort of top of the table up till even sometimes around Christmas, but we've never ever got into the sort of depths of the Ides of February and, and seen, um, and seen a team do this. And then for them to go to Manchester City and, and just blow them away. And, and I've said to you before on this show that, and on my own show as well, that, Manchester City are a team that the way to go at them is to get at them. So, you know, if you plan a big team traditionally, a really good, talented team with a load of wealthy individuals, um, and, and, they've, and they've spent a lot of money to put that team together, what teams, lower, or sort of, sort of so-called lesser teams tend to do is to try and shut up shop and catch them on the break. That's not the way to play against Man City. The way to play against Man City, especially when they've got company out and they've got Yaya Toure on the side, is to hammer them as hard as you can. Mm-hmm. And Leicester were able to do that, and they were able to score early, and that played into their hands. And as soon as I tell you something now, I know it sounds like I'm after timing or, or or being wise after the event. As soon as they scored after three minutes, I knew that was that. I knew it. Well, well, I mean, certainly, the, the, it, it, you know, we we talk a lot about if, if people want to talk about Leicester's spirit and and the the the, the camaraderie and, and and all those things matter Luke we we know they do they, they, they call them intangibles or you know certainly they're they're subjective things we try to measure as we watch this incredible story unfold but this is not a team that just is getting by on team spirit i mean as you said we've seen we've seen clubs lesser clubs stay near the top of the table until you know january maybe february before Based on that kind of spirit, but that all kind of fades away as the talent catches up or the fatigue catches up or the tactics catch up. And what we're seeing here, and and certainly much smarter people than me, tactically speaking, have said this, is that despite the fact that, 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 you know, people are, or other teams are figuring out how Leicester plays, they're still beating those, those teams. Yeah, I think it's an interesting set of circumstances because we're not talking about, I don't want to be patronising to Leicester because we're not talking about a bunch of unknown players. Right. No, right. We're not talking about an FA Cup run from the depths of the fifth or sixth tier in English football. We're talking about a team who, you know, they've got some, they've got some good players. I mean, if you look at the players they, they, they have in their lineup and the players they've signed and had for maybe a bit longer, they've got, you know, Kasper Schmeichel has got a lot of experience. You know, he's, he's, he's rated as a goalkeeper. He maybe wasn't rated in the upper echelon top goalkeepers in, 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 in the world, but he was still a talented goalkeeper. And he played at Man City, he played at a number of different clubs. 
and he's now starting to mature as a goalkeeper. He's made, he's been really important for them this season. Someone like Sebastian Fuchs uh, at fullback, he's an experienced Austrian international. I think, in fact, he might even be an Austrian captain. Or he certainly has been in the past. He's a big player. You know, someone like Gokan Inla, who can't even get in the team, he's a very experienced player with international pedigree. Mm-hmm. You know, Danny Drinkwater was very highly rated, came through at Man United, was instrumental in them being promoted to the Premier League and then spent most of the last season injured and is now coming to his own. Kante was being looked at by a lot of clubs. I don't think anyone thought he'd be as good as he actually is, but he was still being looked at. Avadi, his story is well known. Okazaki was highly rated. You know, th- th- these, are players, th- these are players who... You know, Michael Brighton's played in the Premier League for years. He lost his way at Aston Villa was released in, or, or, or went his separate ways from Villa in the summer. No one questioned his quality. I just think this is a team who, 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 whose who's, who's overall value is so much more than the sum of their parts. Mm-hmm. And that is coming back to what you just said about the intangibles, about confidence, mm-hmm. about good management, about momentum. Mm-hmm. So much of football at every level, and I've played terrible level of football before, but it, it rings true through every single level, is momentum and confidence. Mm-hmm. If, if you can con- contain your confidence, maintain it, and then protect it, you can achieve an awful lot, and they're showing that. And they've got no fear. They're playing with no fear. They'll go to the Emirates at the weekend, and they'll play exactly the same way, and they might get beaten three or four, two or something like that. Yeah, it, but they it might win. As you said, I mean, you don't want to to say this after the you, you know you're calling the 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 victory for Leicester City on the weekend after go one up over Manchester City just because the the by the way that they play. And and this is as we're going along here. This is hindsight a bit, but. It, Claudio Ranieri is a perfect fit for this group of players, clearly, and it's something about him, and, and certainly he's starting to get the, the plaudits he deserves as the architect, uh, the director of, of what Leicester City is doing. Yeah, I mean, just to go back to the Man City thing, the reason I knew that they would do well is because they, they score early, they're a confident team anyway, once they score, they know they can score, and not only that, they play brilliantly on the break with so much pace. As soon as they score a goal after a few minutes, Man City, who are expected to win that game, by the way, have got to come out. Mm-hmm. And as soon as they come out, they leave gaps. And they leave gaps and make poor decisions with sort of substandard centre-halves, um, they're going to get hammered. Mm-hmm. And they're going to get really, really badly punished. And they, all, all it would need to do was Leicester to be ruthless, and they absolutely were that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's part of the reason why I'm saying, saying that. And I just think, you know, they're going to go to the Emirates at the weekend, and they're going to play exactly the same way. Right. And I, if I were an Arsenal fan, I'd be a little bit, I'd be a little bit scared about it. Because you know they, they might they might blow Arsenal a bit to bits, you know what I mean? It, it could happen. And, yeah. and and Arsenal have got this sort of thing about being almost the opposite of Leicester in terms of mentality. They're just a bit soft-centered and a little bit sort of tend to feel a bit sorry for themselves when things don't go their way. And that could be a, a really potent mix against a team like Leicester at the moment. Well, I mean, you you frustrate Arsenal. You certainly get in their heads, and 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 there's probably no one better suited for that right now than than Leicester, who's not supposed to be there in the first place, is five points up on on Arsenal, and you know there, there's that sense that. You know that they have what we deserve, and and maybe Arsenal yeah. sometimes feels like they they play like they are entitled, and, and that's certainly not going to work. No, I, I also like the centre back pairing of Leicester because I like that Wes Morgan had a difficult time of it last season. He learned an awful lot. You know, he weighed in with a couple of own goals. He got caught a bit short a few times, and he, I wouldn't say he was a laughing stock because that would be unfair. But he was well noticed, certainly around my peers on on the show I do, as being a little bit short of quality. But he's learned so much from that. You know, when you put him alongside a really experienced, strong defender like Robert Huth, um, it's a great combination. And they're really pl- playing their part as well. Um, obviously, Huth weighed in with a couple of goals at the weekend, which is above and beyond the call of duty. But, you know, every little helps and all that. Um, so, yeah, I think they probably can get into Arsenal. Still. I think Arsenal are mentally fragile. Um, because I think their manager is mentally fragile, mm. so they're just a, they're just a reflection of that, really. Mm. Um, and until until I'm not calling for Wenger to move on or whatever, it's not really anything to do with me. But as soon as Wenger moves on and they get a more robust manager, I think 
um, someone with a bit of fresh impetus, I think they'll be an awful lot better. Um, but I would be fearful if I was an Arsenal fan, well, let me tell you that. Yeah, let, let, let's, okay, so you've got Leicester City, again, five points up on Spurs and, and Arsenal. I'm going to talk about Spurs here in a minute, uh, because I want to get your send, you, you know, your take on whether or not they are a legitimate title contender at this point. And then let's talk about City, though, because they did lose to Leicester. As you said, once Leicester went up, it, it, it seemed to play into the Fox's hands. And, and one of the things that is frustrating to me, and I'm no City fan, but I certainly was, and I, I'm going to use the word was, a Yaya Torre fan is that it seems as though Yaya doesn't have anything left for this team anymore, and, and maybe that's just I'm, I'm judging on one game, Luke. Maybe that's unfair, but you know there certainly were times that it did not seem as though Yaya Torre was was playing um, uh, anywhere near what he should be capable of, even at this point in his career. Yeah, yeah I, I've got a lot. To, I've got a lot of opinions about Yaya Torre. I, th- I think he's probably the archetypal modern super rich club midfield player. You know, I can see him going somewhere like PSG next, maybe, if they'll have him. But he, I think he's probably about 18 months over his sell, maybe about a year over his sell by date. Not because I don't think he's a good player, but because I think he, he isn't hungry enough. Mm-hmm. He, does, he's a, you know, he doesn't want to, to work for the team. He doesn't want to do his bit. And he's, he's essentially coasting. And he spends all his time moaning. And he's just, he got his preemptive strike in uh, a couple of weeks ago when it was announced that Guardiola was going to take over, saying, no, I don't, I don't want to play for Guardiola. Mm-hmm. I, I won't be staying around. It's like, well, mate, it's not your decision. You know, you're saying that because Guardiola's going to move you on probably the first day he gets takes a job. The first day he takes a job, probably the first thing he's going to do is say, "See you later," because you're not part of this team. You can't you can't play for a team that I want to I want I want to have. So you're going to be out of here. And so he and that's in, in many ways I think that that sort of summed up the type of character he is. It's sort of all about him, really. And we know about all the stuff about the African player of the year thing yeah. and the birthday cake thing. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's fairly risible, really. Yeah. And, and some of the performances he puts in, um, especially when it's a tough game. You know, if they play at home to I mean, Sunderland or whatever, um, although actually, to be fair, Sunderland did play quite well against them last time. But you understand what I mean. When yeah. they play against like a slightly, a slightly less able team and he's at home, he's able to be a bit of a flat track bully and he can weigh in with a goal or two here and there. Um, but he does not put the effort in, and he's not a sort of player you want at all when things aren't going your way. I, I would have probably dragged him off after three minutes as soon as Leicester scored, if, no. if it were me. Um, but obviously they couldn't do that. So yeah, I, I think when and when they miss company as well, they just look so soft centered. Sure, yeah, yeah. Company, company is obviously key to that. But but and and you know you'll bring up the Guardiola thing, and uh, clearly that they, they can't. I, I look. I understand that you want to put, you sort of want to put Pellegrini out of his misery as a lame duck coach. Everyone knows <clears throat> that Guardiola is coming, or at least th- there was a reasonable suspicion that it was City that Guardiola was going to sign up with. There's there's connections between uh, City and, and Barcelona and and Pep. But now that does it has to unsettle a team and a team like City, which has always seemed to be relatively fragile in the sense that there are. You know there are 25 different egos on that team, but all working in a different direction. To have the Pep Guardiola thing be officially confirmed can't be good for for whatever they're trying to do with the rest of their season. No, it's an interesting one. I think Pellegrini seems to be a very popular chap and 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 someone who 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 everyone in football seems to respect. You know, he won't be short of a job, and he's handled himself with dignity, and he's done he's done a pretty good job at City. You know, maybe they've fallen short in Europe, perhaps, but. He's certainly not been the first Man City manager to be guilty of that. And that's clearly part of the reason they've got Guardiola in. What I would say is I think the, the title will be, be beyond them this season. But um, I wouldn't go... I mean, if you were somebody who particularly dislikes Manchester City, I wouldn't go around and celebrate for too long because I think they've been setting everything up for Guardiola to take over for a number of years now. And everything is going to be in place for him to be there for, for, for a reasonable period of time and to deliver a sustained amount of success in his time there. Um, so we might be entering, as of the summer, 
Um, we might be entering a, a sort of a Manchester City and Guardia dominated uh, English football landscape yeah. for, for for a couple of years at least. Um, the only sort of caveat to that being that Guardia doesn't really stick around anywhere long. Mm-hmm. But if you find somewhere he likes, he can deliver as we've seen in the past. And I think he, he is probably about to deliver some dominance for Manchester City in the Premier League. But that's in the future. Right now, we have, again, a very fascinating title race um, in second place by virtue of a, of a better uh, goal differential than Arsenal is Spurs. And it's the same questions, maybe with a different kind of tenor when it comes to Tottenham, Luke, and, and whether or not they are legitimately co- uh, title contenders, and, and you also have this, you know, the the, the rumor swirling that that United is, uh, is is kicking the tires on Pochettino, perhaps for next season. So, how does Spurs manage to kind of overcome their reputation as bottlers and and make a real run at this? Yeah, I mean, the, the first part of that I'll tackle is the Pochettino thing. I think that is a danger. I think he's a, clearly a very highly rated coach. He's not found his level yet. That's no disrespect to Spurs, but he's not found his level yet. He's not really managed. Well, he obviously hasn't managed in the Champions League yet, so um, he'll be keen to do that. But he'll be keen to do that with Spurs. And right. I can't see that not happening next season. Now, <clears throat> Manchester United, a big club. There's always going to be there's always going to be a hierarchy in football, right? No matter how much certain fans of certain clubs don't like to admit it, you know, Manchester United are just objectively a bigger club than Spurs. So if Manchester United come knocking or Real Madrid come knocking for someone of, of you know of Hispanic origin, it's going to be a big pull. Um, I think Pochettino likes what he's doing there. I think he thinks he's got a project there. And I like the way he goes about his business. Spurs are absolutely 100% um, champ, um, Premier League title contenders because, and this is no disrespect to Leicester, especially given what I've just said, because I like Leicester and I'd love to see him do it. The team above them is Leicester. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, not, it's not a Mourinho-Chelsea. You know, they're not five points clear. And it's Chelsea and they've got Mourinho in their, in their pomp in 2006 or whatever. You know, this is a, this is a fall- as much as we all love the Leicester story, this is a fallible Leicester team. And Spurs look very, very solid. They're playing football the right way. They're not, they're not doing things like winning games, getting out of jail like Liverpool do sometimes, beating Norwich 5-4 away or whatever. You know, they're, they're, they're solid. They're winning games. They've only, I think they've only lost a couple or two or three all season. And they've got the best defence in the league. And when you've got the best defence in the league, you've always, in February, you've always got a chance. Mm-hmm. So absolutely, they're title contenders. They, they've got a great combination of sort of um, playing with, with superb tempo, but they also look really robust as well. And it's nice to see. And even when someone like um, Vertonghen, who's been such a big player for them at centre-back, goes out injured, someone like Vimmer comes in and looks very solid, looks very well drilled, very sort of savvy, even though he's not that experienced in the Premier League. So, and that's because they're well coached. This is, the, this is the, probably the best coached Spurs team I've seen um, since yeah. I can remember I, I would say the 2010-11 side are better individuals with players like Modric and Bale and those types but in terms of a team in terms of a well-coached unit mm-hmm. this is the best Spurs team I've probably seen in the Premier League era well, and, and they, they you know Spurs went through several different managers trying to hit on the right uh, the right formula there and they finally seem to have gotten it with Pochettino but then as you said that the danger is whether or not the bigger club comes knocking and, and now you're back to square one but if they if they manage to at least make the Champions League, and as you said, you can't see that not happening, perhaps that's enough to entice Pochettino to stay there. Uh, yeah, because, because Jay, sorry to cut in, but it's essentially a little bit of transition at Spurs at the moment because this new stadium they want, yes, because right. of um, the things that they have, like a way structure, which they don't really want to break. And you know, I'd like to have seen them in January bringing a really experienced midfield player, just someone who can settle them down when the going gets tough sometimes and towards the back end of the season, the business end, when it's stressful and pressure, you'd love to have someone to calm them down in there. I'm not saying they can't do it and yeah. they won't be fun as they are, but I think that would be a little bit of a value, especially given that people like Deli Ali and Eric Dyer, who are inexperienced players, great players, but inexperienced players, mm-hmm. might fall a touch short and you wouldn't blame them for doing so. But the problem is, one, they've got a way structure, right? So they don't want to break it. So they don't want to go after 
um, a player like um, I don't know, the, not not him now, but the equivalent of like an Edgar Davids or an Idaka Johnson, sure. just players they've signed in the past who are experienced and offered a lot of experience to the, to the rest of the younger players, or a Laurent Blanc like Man United did back in the day. Um, so, secondly, they can't really do that because of this this um, this uh, stadium thing that's coming up, and they want to make sure they balance the books and all that other stuff. And Levy, the the the, the chairman, there's got a lot of it, a lot of a track record in, in in not really putting his hand in his pocket. Um, sure, but the yeah. but the thing about Pochettino, just to sum all this up, is that what the coaches want to do, right? They want to win things, right? But they also, given that Pochettino is a coach as well, he wants to work with the best players. So I can see down the line, and of course I understand they might break this way structure slightly if they get into the Champions League because they'll be afford to do so. But it, down the line, if Levy isn't giving Pochettino the best players to work with. Um, and he knows he can work with better players elsewhere. Mm-hmm. As a coach, you'd think he'd be tempted by that. I'm not saying he'd go, but I'm just saying he probably would be tempted by that, and that's something that Spurs need to be mindful of. Yeah, uh, you know, it, it may not come down directly to this, but you certainly have to take into account the fixture list for, for both of the, the... Well, I mean, obviously, Arsenal's still in the mix, and we're not discounting them, and even City can make a run at this. Uh, but between Leicester and Spurs, those are what I have up in front of me right now. Uh, Luke and and I've I've looked at Leicester's uh, already. It it's it's fairly forgiving. I mean, it's they've got eight or nine winnable games coming up. They do after Arsenal. They do, and and they close. You know, they close the season um, away to Chelsea, which you don't you don't expect that game to to ultimately be to the cider, but it could be. Um, yeah. And they have and they have Manchester United uh, last week of April, but but beyond that, it really is a lot of winnable games, which means I, I wonder if that means more pressure. On them, I mean, sort of in that reverse sort of trap game mentality that that comes with we're supposed to beat you know we're su- we're supposed to beat Swansea uh, when we're at home, but then yeah, you the, slip the, up. The funny thing is, like with Leicester, is like you talk about them going to Stamford Bridge in the final day, and I'm not, uh, instinctively because I've, I've you know I've been doing this for quite a long time now. Instinctively, I think, oh yeah, that's a tough one for them. They'll need to get that sewn up before they go there. But then at the same time, I think, well, last weekend they smashed Manchester City yeah. at the Etihad, who are a yeah. better team than Chelsea this season. Yeah. And they've beaten Liverpool at home. Now, okay, they, got unstuck, they come unstuck at home to, to Arsenal, but they've got a chance to avenge that at the Emirates at the weekend. They may well do so. They've got eight or nine games coming up after this Arsenal game, which I know I don't want to be over the top about it, but in, in theory, Indeed. they could possi- they could feasibly yeah. win every single one of them. Yeah. And if they do that, they would have won the league anyway. Yeah. So yeah, they're not, they're, there's nothing about of the flat trap bully about them. It's almost like... They play with reckless abandon against whoever they're playing. They don't care who it is. What? But at the same time, they tend to keep themselves quite solid as well. All, all the all the more impressive that they are here, five points up, five points up on everybody else, having having gone through the most difficult part of their of their schedule. If, absolutely. If you look, look at how and a great a great um, example of this is look at how they dealt with City at the Etihad, and then go back a few weeks or, or a month or two and look at how they dealt with Man City at home. Shut up, shot one up front, nil nil, job done. They, they can play both ways, mm-hmm. you know. So they've shown against arguably the best squad in the Premier League, they can shut up shop and frustrate them and get a draw, get out of there with a draw when they're not playing very well and they don't have someone like, um, I think they have one or two players missing. Mm-hmm. And then when they're full strength and they're confident and they're, they're picking the same first 11 for the fourth game in the row, whatever it was, they'll blow the same team away later on in the season. So they're, they're ticking all the boxes. There's nothing lucky about this. Yeah. It, doesn't, it doesn't feel like it's a lucky fluke. No, no, no. They're doing no. everything right. And, they'll, and, they'll, and they'll, do you know what? They'll line up at Arsenal at the weekend with the same 11, the same formation, buzzing with confidence, and they will hit, you watch it, I'm sure you will, they will hit Arsenal at 100 mile an hour for the first 10 minutes in that game, and you see what happens. And they could, they could go feasibly two, two, two ahead. 
And then, and then we'll have a proper game of that. It could be the game of the season. Yeah, you, you know, Luke, you're, you're here in the States. I'm, I'm sure that if you flip by NBC uh, Sports, you, you'll, you'll see the, you know, the, the advertisements for, for the weekend. And it's interesting to see NBC sort of jump on uh, the Leicester bandwagon and use, use them as means to get people to watch this weekend. I mean, certainly people are, are usually attracted to the big clubs. I mean, Chelsea, Arsenal, Manchester United, those are, those are going to do well on American television, relatively speaking. But, but now it's, you know, watch the Foxes because this yeah. is going to be probably the most amazing story we've, we've seen in, in quite some time. And, you know, I sort of annoyed some people here because I spent, uh, the greater part of an hour the other day trying to compare Leicester City winning the title, if they get it done, to any other team sports story in, in, in my knowledge base. And I can't find one. I can't find anything that even comes close to what they might do should they actually win the title. Yeah, I've not, I'm not, I wouldn't, I wouldn't even profess to be an expert in, in football or soccer, but I wouldn't, I certainly wouldn't be as professed to be an expert in any other sport, but right. I can't think of anything. Yeah. Um, like this, really. I, I mean, because the reason I say that, and, and with the caveat that I'm not really au fait with any American sport apart from football, probably, um, but you, you've got to remember that this is a 38 yep. game season yep. in probably the most, com- I mean, arguably, I mean, some people would maybe take issue with this, but I'll, I'll stick with it. Arguably the most competitive league in world soccer. Mm-hmm. So for them to sustain that over such a long period. So, so we, we have teams who win the FA Cup, right? So the team I spot Portsmouth on the FA Cup in 2008. That was the first time in a while that a team that wasn't traditionally seen as, in quotes, a big team won the FA Cup. But, and that was amazing. But at the same time, what is it, seven games? Something like that? You know, it's not, it's not, it's not a huge amount of games. Sure. They only played one Premier League team on the way. So, you know, you've got, you've got to factor it in and look at all the different variables. Um, I saw when you said that on Twitter, someone was talking about the Golden State Warriors in the NBA. Um, I don't know enough about basketball to no, know that, but I, I realised that that was quite a big story as no, well when they yeah. did so well. Sure, but, but, I, but I can't see that in the same bracket. Yeah, really well, I mean, obviously, American sports um, typically built for, you know, we have the, the drafts that are, you know reward the bad teams for the next year. You get the pick of the yeah. best players. So, you know, clearly there's, there's a, a built-in uh, system. And that doesn't happen in English. Yeah, that doesn't happen in English football. That doesn't allow for, I mean, Leicester has to do it all on their own. They have to figure out how to spend how to make enough money to spend enough money to be competitive and that's why this is remarkable to me the difference in resources between them and the teams that are directly behind them um let, let's before we run out of time I, I definitely want to talk about manchester united and and the situation there uh 1-1 draw on the weekend with chelsea uh diego costa continues to be diego costa uh i i, mm. I, I you know and and the constant speculation about van hall's position uh, the next manager of Manchester United, I, I you know, I, I reported it. I did a, you know, my news hit this morning and, and I referenced that the, the tabloids are saying that Mourinho's telling friends he's taking the Manchester United job or he's going to get that job. I, I don't know how much stock we put in those stories yet, but it, it does, it can't be good for Van Hall and it can't be good for United. And I still don't understand any world in which Jose Mourinho is a good fit for that club. Well, they've got no direction sort of on or off the pitch at the moment. And it's and the reason we're feeling it a lot more keenly as football fans is because United have been such a um, steamroller of a, of a club under Ferguson. You know, this is the, it was go without saying that United would be in the conversation for every trophy every year for, for a number of years. And now that's not happening. We're noticing it a lot more keenly. They're, they're losing their way off the pitch. Um, they've got no real direction under Ed Woodward, in my opinion. And they've got Van Gaal, who, although was a great coach in his day, his day is clearly gone. Mm-hmm. And he's not making any long-term plans to secure the future of the club because he's not going to stay at the latest beyond 2017. And most people think he's going to go in the summer. So that's that's the background to this, for those who don't know. 
the Jose Mourinho thing is an interesting one because there are pros and cons as to why he um, he may get the job. The pros are that he's got George Mendes in his corner, who you know he's, he's one he's the most powerful agent in football, yeah. and the man who runs the game really um, in terms of at a player and manager level. Um, and he's got um, the fact that he's won Premier League titles. I mean, he's won three. He's won you know he's won he's won. If we take it out of the focus of, of the recent failure he's had this season, he's won three. He's won three Premier League titles in about half the time that Arsene Wenger has won his three Premier League titles. So he, he's he's got he's obviously won the Champions League as well a couple of times. He's won the treble in Italy. He, we know all this. So he's he's got the pedigree. The problem with Mourinho is he only ever gives you trophies. And I know that sounds pretty glib. But for a club the size of Man United, they probably want a bit more than that. They probably want a legacy. They probably want someone who's going to continue that amazing tradition of bringing these young players through. Um, they want someone who's going to treat the club with respect and, and not shame, for it, shame it in the media and all this other stuff. That's what they want. And that's why someone like Bobby Charlton, who's a legend at the club, comes out and says, we don't know if Mourinho is the right fit for this club. Mm-hmm. It sounds a bit pious and it sounds a bit sort of... Um, you know, a little bit sort of arrogant. Sure. But United have earned that right. Oh, so absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. There, there are pros and cons to him taking it. Um, I don't know if he's going to do it. I have no insight into it. It doesn't surprise me that Mourinho has been talking about it in that way because he'll do anything to engineer his way into sure, that team sure. and anything to engineer his way into another rivalry with Guardiola, who he hates and who he wants to get one over on all the time, which is what drives him, really. <laughs> so it'll be fascinating to see how it pans out in the summer. Um, there are going to be other options for them, though. I mean, Pochettino, as you've mentioned, Simeone, as, you, as, as we've talked about before. So there will be other options for United if they don't want to carry on with Van Gaal next season. I mean, of course, Ryan Giggs, who's been doing his apprenticeship for a while, might come too soon for him, but he's an option as well. So United have got all the power here because they've got such a big draw. They can yeah. attract any manager they want, really. Sure, but, but it, well, obviously the, 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 the managers most coveted over the last you know year, calendar year, Pep Guardiola, Jurgen Klopp, both of them have gone to rivals, so that's... Yeah, that's they've got to done. make a move, Jason. They yeah. have to make a move 100%. I mean, yeah. I'm just saying they've got, they've got options here, right? Yeah. So Mourinho yeah. is, is a controversial character. He's someone who possibly it could go wrong, and when it goes wrong, it goes wrong pretty badly and pretty quickly, and it always does go wrong after about three years. So if you're not I want to make that same mistake again that they've made with Van Gaal, if people consider yeah. that to be a, a mistake with Van Gaal, then obviously they're welcome to do so. But it's you know it's, you've got to do so you've got to do so at their own risk, haven't they? Yeah, you know it it, it would seem to me uh, hiring Mourinho, and again, no insight. It seems an odd fit. Everything Charlton said. That to me would be the 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 admission on the part of Manchester United that that we are just like everybody else that that we're not different anymore. I mean, I think Barcelona went through this, you know, f- over the course of, of four or five years with Pep Guardiola leaving and the change in their sponsorship situation. It's the same thing. I mean, obviously United is a business. Everybody knows it's a business. Everybody hates the Glaziers because of the uh the, the money they take out of the club, but they they're still Manchester United. They still have that aura about them. And if you hire Jose Mourinho, you're basically saying, you know, screw the aura. We're in this to win one Premier League title, and then watch the whole thing fall apart, and go find somebody else. Yeah, it, yeah, I, I completely agree because we have to we have to agree with that because of the track record that Mourinho showed in the past. I mean, the only thing I can add to that is that he has said. I mean, he said when he took over at Chelsea again, he said, you know, I've always travelled around, I've always done, I've always moved here and there, you know, I've always been a, a modern day sort of Bella Gutman, and, and the third season is fatal and all that. But I found Chelsea is my home. The reason I've come back here is because I love living in London. I love this club. I want to stay here for a long time this time. It's just different for me now. 
But the problem is, from what I can make out, he didn't adjust or change any of his tactics or his coaching <laughs> no, methods. No, no. So it just fell to pieces again. Yeah. The, the aura seems to sort of drop off of him after a couple of years. The players don't want to play for him anymore. They find him abrasive and, they, and he can't get it back. And that's why it fails so spectacularly. So it seems to me that even if he does want to create a legacy, a truly big club like Man United, and of course, why wouldn't you want to do that? I don't know if he's capable of doing that. Mm. And if, if, he, if he goes to a club like... I mean, maybe not Chelsea because Chelsea are a big player now, but if he goes to a club that are slightly less illustrious than Man United, I can see why a club would want him, right? Because he's going to deliver trophies. Yeah. And, to, and for some clubs, just trophies is enough. That's great. That's mm-hmm. ideal for them. But I don't know if it is enough for a, a club like um, Man United. It obviously wasn't enough for a club like Real Madrid. Um, and so, so Inter's a great example, right? Inter, Inter hadn't, had never won the treble before, and they won it um, under Mourinho. That was enough for them. You know, he was a fairly unpopular guy here and there, especially in the media. But he's still going to be a legendary at all, t- all times because he was the first um, manager to deliver an Italian club t- to win the treble. So, mm. But there are levels, you know. There are levels. And, and for Manchester United, for an organisation like them, I don't think Mourinho is going to be able to deliver what they need. And that's why they're arming and about it. And I would suggest that if it's taken them this long to make a decision to hire him, they probably shouldn't be hiring him. Mm-hmm. All right, last thing here, uh, very briefly. Obviously, uh, this is a lost season for Chelsea. They're in 13th. We don't expect them to be pulled back into the relegation zone, but they're not going to finish uh, anywhere near their usual f- uh, place in the, in the table. Goose Hitting is... In, is, is caretaker right now. Uh, we've been through the Didier Drogba saga. Apparently, he's going to play one more year in MLS and then maybe show up uh, on Chelsea, uh, Chelsea's doorstep uh, for next season. Um, but they still they need a manager. They, they're going to need somebody for, for next year. I, I've seen a couple of names. I mean, Simeone, everyone in, that I talked to in Spain says that he's going to stay, that he, they think he's committed to that project there. Um, beyond him, it, it's a couple of Italians, Conte and Allegri, and maybe Allegri is the guy. But is that even is that the kind of direction that they should be going in? Um, first of all, I don't know why they don't keep. Um, I don't know why they don't talk to Gus, Goose Hiddink to, to take it over sort of uh, more long term. Well. Maybe he's not interested. I don't know. I, I've missed something on that because he seems to do very well whenever he goes there. I think in his first spell, he only lost one game, won the FA Cup as well. Um, so um, I don't know if they've lost a game under Goose Hiddink this time round, have they? They, they were close to against United and they scored that last one at equalizer. Yeah, anyway, no. clearly Goose Hiddink isn't part of the conversation, so maybe there's a reason for that. Um, Max Allegri, I think, is probably a bit underrated. I'm not sure if everyone's completely doing cartwheels about the type of football he plays, but he was a whisker away from delivering the treble with Juventus last year. Of course, they won, won the double and then they, they were beating in the Champions League final by, by a great Barcelona side. So clearly he's got the credentials. Um, I'm not sure, I'm not sure I'm, I'd, I'd, be, I'd be taking Conte over him. Of course, he's international manager now and it's a bit of a different kettle of fish. And, and, and I think with Chelsea, they can sort of tempt everyone at anyone they want, it seems, because I can remember when they were trying to get Vyash Boas Mm-hmm. And he was saying, oh, I don't want to go. I'm happy to hear. I want to stay for a number, maybe another year or so. Then I'll think about it. And then he just completely changed his mind because he was offered so much money that he's <laughs> like, oh, I've got to take it while I can, you know, and I want to win in the Premier League eventually, so I might as well do it now. Of course, that went wrong. I'm not saying that it will go wrong if they go after Allegri. Simeone does look very committed to Atletico Madrid. He's got every, everything set up there. He can do what he wants to do. I wonder whether um, he can repeat what he repeated recently where he won the league and then obviously they got to the Champions League final as well. I wonder if that is the upper limit for a team like Real Madrid, uh, like Atletico Madrid, yeah. and whether he can maybe achieve his his loftier ambitions as a manager at a club like Chelsea. Um, that'll be interesting. But it looks to me like Allegri is the front runner, and I think actually he's a little bit underrated as a coach. Um, and I, I wouldn't be I wouldn't be averse. We're talking about Italian managers. If I was a Chelsea fan, I wouldn't be averse for them going back after Ancelotti. Mm. But of course, they've they've missed the chance to do that. Um, I think he's an excellent manager, and I think he was really harshly treated by them. Yeah. 
Uh, that yeah, already booked up there, uh, Carlo Ancelotti. Yeah, uh, Luke Moore from the Football Ramble joining us uh, from a snowy Connecticut and uh, excellent stuff, uh, Luke. Appreciate the the chat. Um, enjoy your time in 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 the winter. Yeah, <laughs> if I get cool. snowed in, I'm going to send for help. So keep okay. an eye out. There you go. Um, yeah, we'll get some provisions to you somehow. <laughs> Thank you. Appreciate it, Luke. Let's step aside. We'll come back. We'll take some phone calls on a Wednesday. It is soccer morning on Backheel.com. Man, that was good. All right, stay there. Be right back. Welcome to Soccer Morning. Here's your host, Jason Davis. All right, here we go. Soccer Morning is on the air. Phone lines are ready to go. 646-832-3909 is the phone number. Jump in and talk Premier League. All that stuff we just covered with Luke Moore from the Football Ramble. Fantastic stuff. Uh, next time around, Luke, Luke mentioned this himself, as a matter of fact. Next time around, we'll take some phone calls with Luke on the show. Um, and you should have Sirius XM... Uh, subscription so that you can get Sirius XMFC Channel 85, which has the Football Ramble call-in show, phone-in show on Thursday afternoons. Brilliant stuff. So you can, yeah, partake there. We'll get Luke some phone calls here. We'll take phone calls now uh, here on Soccer Morning. A couple of things that are out there uh, to discuss, and, and, and including, you know, obviously, as again, the Premier League weekend. I'm just seeing that, that the word is broken that uh, Guillermo Barros-Scalotto, who was uh, at Palermo as a, as a manager after having started his managerial career in his native Argentina, obviously former Columbus crew great, a man who led that team to an MLS Cup title in 2009, has had to leave Palermo after four matches because of licensing problems. He can't get his UEFA license. He doesn't have the necessary experience to pass that um, that exam. So uh, it's a problem for Bar- uh, Guillermo Barros-Scalotto in Europe, but maybe that means something for MLS teams who might take a look at him as a manager. I thought we should somebody should be signing up Guillermo Barros-Scalotto in this country. Uh, Aaron's on the line. What's up, Aaron? Hey, how's it going? That was a great interview. Uh, yeah, it looks uh, great. Earlier there. Um, I, I wanted to go uh, into a topic uh, that I think you brought up uh, about a week ago on the uh, the concept of the European Super League, which uh-huh. you know I think just looked kind of fantasy-like, but uh, I think that's actually gaining dangerous momentum now. And because Bayern, the chairman of Bayern Munich, is 100% behind it, and it sounds like he's actually driving it, um, which you know. But if a German is driving something, it's going to get there. <laughs> well, the, a bunch of, you know, uh, several people within German football have taken a uh, pretty aggressive stance on the idea of a Super League. And, and it, it is not new. Uh, you know, Bayern, the Bayern Munich chairman, uh, who is that? Is it Karl, Karl Heinz Rummenegger, right? Um, who, yes. Yeah. So, uh, you know, he, he's done it. The CEO of the Bundesliga has said some things. Uh, it seems as though the Germans are driving this. I, I don't know if the rest of Europe is ready to get on board, though, Aaron. And, and like you said, maybe if a German is driving something, you're going to get there eventually. But it, I don't know how quickly this comes together. Yeah, I mean, the, the thing that is very dangerous about it, though, is is it's is it. I mean, we all already know this is a business, but there's this kind of fragmentation of the business 
that is still a normal league structure. Yeah. And so when you start playing with this kind of, you know, it, it's one of the great things about this, uh, you know, about this game. And it's, you know, and I have debates with other people who don't know that much about soccer football, you know, they, they, they ultimately get back to, well, the rules don't change to make it, you know, to make me happy. I mean, like if you want to get down to the brass tacks of why people like a lot of our sports is basically we change our rules to make fans happy, whatever happy means at that moment in history. And this game doesn't really do that that much. I mean, there's a few edge things that are logical, I think, like some of the goal line tech and so on. And, and this league kind of model, which goes back a long time, yeah. Really. Um, you know, it's never really been messed with. No, and I just no, don't I, think you get a lot. I mean, if you look at kind of the BCS model in American college football, I mean, they have their own problems that are even worse than that with pay to play. Well, well, yeah. It, I, you know, not going to get enough money. Just but, to jump in. If you think about it. Well, just to jump in, Aaron, when, when I had the discussion, I think it was with Christian Hennage, and we talked about the possibility and, and I brought up some of these things that, that were, have been said in the German press. Um, to me, it is such a fundamental change in, in the way that, that soccer operates that, that I mean, we, we are not talking, first of all, I hope nobody takes it lightly, but, but we are talking about, you, you immediately relegate everything that's not the Super League to, to, you know, to secondary status. Now, that's, is, we, we already well, do. Well, what I would argue is that, is that you create, Europa A, Europa B. Yeah, yeah. And then you have you have Champions League again, and then there's just Europa A, Europa B, and which is not the worst thing in the world if you actually kind of force a competition. And I really think that's the issue. Is that you know it's like the thing I've always had a problem with the NIT and the NCAA. It's like they never kind of gave each side a chance to kind of earn it. Right. Like really extra earn it. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, it's just annoying to me when you have these kind of tournament systems that, that doesn't uh, reward execution in those other tournaments with some, you know, with something in the, in the main tournament. And I think that's part of the, the problem is that I don't think this has anything to do with the best clubs. This has to do with a protection racket. Of oh yeah. These kind Absolutely. Of oligopolies. It, absolutely. Who that, are, that's the problem. Who are just entertainment brands. Because and, and they're basically, what it is, is it's, it's Comcast, Verizon, Sony. It's all the usual, sure. you know, if, if these yeah. were American companies saying the same thing these clubs are doing, we'd have antitrust discussions. Yeah. Yeah. Aaron, but, Aaron, I got a bunch of people lined up who want yeah. to get in on the air today. And, and so I'm going to let you go, but I, I, I totally agree with you. This is not about, it's not about the soccer and it's not about trying to put together the best league possible. It's about, as you said, it's protecting the, the, the businesses that these, uh, that these clubs have become. And that is fundamental. And while, while that's, well, that movement has already started and we've already entrenched ourselves in a world where, you know, the business side of the game is dominant, um, almost over the competition side or, or the, um, the, the, the populist side. At least we can fool ourselves a little bit right now. If we go Super League, we can't fool ourselves at all anymore. That's 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 where exactly. I'm at with that. Yeah, appreciate it, Aaron. Thanks for the call, man. Thank you. Right, yeah, yep, sure. wish I had more time to talk to Aaron, but I got a bunch of people on. Let's uh, let's go to Nelly down in Texas. What's up, Nelly? Hey, Jason. So I know yesterday you told me over Twitter that you talked about the futsal. I did. I wanted to give you my opinion about it. Okay. Um, kind of hate it that you have Mark Cuban and NBA owners and even 
uh, world football teams that are investing in the futsal league. You know, I've watched a few futsal games. It's a cool sport. I don't see it booming here right. as much as of the investors may think. I, I I rather see these owners invest in MLS, put their money in in the league, make it grow well, more. Well, sure, you can't look. I, I'm with you, Nelly, and, and in fact, I have a column going up one of my regular places today, U.S. soccer players, where I sort of address how frustrating it is to see Mark Cuban jump in on futsal rather than uh, a one of the professional leagues we've already got here playing outdoor soccer. But you can't force a guy to put his money in something. Uh, he's choosing to do this. I don't know. I'm with you. I don't know that it catches on. I think it's going to be a hard sell. But more than that, more than anything about whether or not it's a success or you know whether you know maybe some of these other big clubs being involved does change the, the change the feeling of it for me a little bit. But more than anything else, it just occurs to me that this is not connected at all to the soccer I care about. Now, I might watch this and enjoy this, but I will recognize as I'm doing so that futsal, a futsal league in the United States of America, has nothing to do with the growth of the sport on the outdoor side. To me, because you are, it's it essentially they are two different sports, right? Yeah, I was thinking about that too. It's a completely different sport. It has its own championship, different players. Yep. I, you know, and maybe Mark Cuban is not investing in soccer because. I don't think the Hunts here in FC Dallas, they want any other partnerships. But I'm thinking of other NBA owners, like the owner of the Nets, who's investing in a team in New York. You know, why not invest on uh, on the Cosmos or something yeah. or, or I mean, try look, to the, help out another team there, There's going to be you know, grow he, in MLS? Yeah, Mark Cuban once upon a time was in the running to buy uh, the, the Chicago Cubs, right? So maybe Mark Cuban... Um, maybe Mark Cuban could buy and uh, be be part of the Sting. I mean, it was, a, it was he's a Pittsburgh guy, right? Is that where he's from? Yeah, maybe. maybe he's a Pittsburgh guy. Yeah, I was thinking of that he could invest and try to get a team over there. I mean, he's always trying to look to buy uh, a franchise. I think having him in MLS would be so great. Oh, it'd be amazing, just because it'd be of amazing. who he is. I want to get, and that's the thing. Like maybe uh, this will never happen in a billion years. I gotta, I gotta roll. Now I appreciate the call. I, look, I, and that's the thing. I'm not excited about the futsal league. That's not me saying you shouldn't be if you like futsal. And, and I understand the skill set. But for me, I would be excited for the futsal league if I thought it was going to impact uh, American soccer, the outdoor game, in any particular way. If it was going to give kid, if it was going to give kids an opportunity to play more futsal, I'd be on board with it. But that's not what this is. It's buying up the best football uh, futsal players in the world, bringing them to the United States, and trying to create a wholly new entertainment product that ultimately is going to compete with M- MLS and NASL for entertainment dollars. Let's go to Roger down in Florida. Hey, Roger. Hey, Jason. Hey, I got a few things I want to talk about because man, it's just such a exciting time to be a soccer fan here in Central Florida. But uh, concerning uh, Man U and Mourinho, I think that's totally crazy. Totally. And I think what Man U should really be going after Pellegrini. He's like the perfect fit. That's an he did better with Man City. Okay. And uh, I just think it's a no-brainer. Like if uh, Pep Guardiola ends up doing a bad job with uh, uh, Man City, then it just puts him in even a better place. Yeah, you know, that's not a, it's not a bad idea. I, I, I think there's a couple of problems with it from a United perspective. One, are you really going to take Manchester City's cast off if you're Manchester United? Cause how does that go over with your fan base? And number two, he's 62. It's, it's not as though Manuel Pellegrini is going to be coaching for another 10 years. 
Um, he, he probably right. he's probably going to want to step aside and retire in the next couple of years. Um, you know, I, I think the Chilean national team is going to come calling. I think he said no to them already, but he's gonna ha- he's gonna be out of a job come the summer. Maybe he decides to go and take a shot at, at that job instead uh, with Sampioli having moved on. I, I don't know. Yeah. Hey, another thing I wanted to mention, too, is uh, we keep talking about pro-rel in this country, and I think we need to just realize that, that ship has sailed because um, here in Orlando, you know, uh, we just got the Orlando City B team, yeah. and uh, they came out and said it, frankly, and I mean, I don't know why I didn't realize this immediately, is that that team is solely there to develop people for the pro team. And so it's just become a system where, you know, this is how they're developing their players and they're not really competing for a trophy in the USL now. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it, or they, they are, they are, I, I see what you're saying. And, and, and obviously the, the dream of pro rel is never going to die. I mean, while, while it would, I'm not saying it would be a good thing for, for people to sort of accept the practical situation that, that ship has, has sailed, because I do think that there's always a possibility. It, it, there is, over a long enough timeline, there is a, an American soccer, uh, structure in place that lends itself to pro rel, and maybe there's a discussion. It's just not going to happen anytime soon, Roger. It's just, it's just not, we're, we're so, we're, we're far enough away from it that, to kind of bog ourselves down in that discussion day in and day out is is missing some of the broader issues that that, that American soccer has to face. Right. Yeah. Hey, hey, and one more thing is, uh, man, I just got to realize, like, recently how much I take for granted being an American because this whole thing with uh, Leicester City just at the top of the table, I hear nothing but cynical comments from the English. Oh, really? Like, why don't they have any belief? Uh, I think I think like they could absolutely win it. I think they're I think they're coming around. In fact, I saw a tweet this morning that I didn't really follow up. I didn't click any links, but uh, I, I I saw a tweet this morning. Somebody said that uh, you know eight of ten uh, Guardian uh, football pundits are picking Leicester now to to go ahead and finish this out and win the, and win the the title. So, all right. In fact, here I got the link right here. Managed to Google it quickly. Look at my Google skills. Who will win the Premier League title? <laughs> Guardian writers pick their winners. Um, so we've got Dominic uh, Fifield, Leicester City. Um, Andy Hunter picks Spurs. Davey, David Hittner picks Leicester City. Janet, Jamie Jackson picks Leicester City. So there, people are coming around. Amy Lawrence mm-hmm. picks Leicester City. I le- love her work. Barney Rone picks. Oh, he picked Manchester City. What? Yeah. Barney, come on. So, so look. But you see, Americans would take this and say, well, look at you know, all of our players on this team. We're going to win the World Cup. Yeah. <laughs> you're right. You're right. Uh, anyway, thanks for the time. Appreciate dude. it, Roger. Like, and some people would call that delusion, you know, on the part of the an American soccer fan base who uh, gets out ahead of themselves occasionally. Uh, there's this there's this dynamic within football, within soccer, and I think it comes from the English uh, to identify it, what Roger's talking about there. I think it comes from the English. It's this notion that you're supposed to know your place. That you're not supposed to, you're not supposed to dream above your station. That you're supposed to recognize, oh, we're the United States of America, on the international stage. We're the United States of America. We've never won anything. We've never really done anything. Of course, we're not good enough to do X, Y, or Z that some fans are out there dreaming about. I don't like that. And the same thing goes with Leicester City. Why not? I mean, especially now. They've established their, their CV, as they would say. 
and their CV is pretty damn good. They have the the talent, the ability, and the manager to go win this title. Steve uh, in LA, what's up? Hey, um, I was watching the the game this past weekend, uh, and after the game, there was this uh, documentary uh, called Under the Crest. I don't know if you're familiar. I think it's Behind the Crest, right? And it's about West. Is about West. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Crystal yeah. Palace. Crystal Palace. Yeah, yeah. And I was wondering uh, because uh, you were saying like a couple of days ago that maybe they're they're going to make a. Uh, uh, Leicester City movie, sorry, or, or or something like that. Yeah. So I was wondering if if you think that like NBC has like some cameras there already, like just filming it. Well, I would hope like, that ready to, to I would, pump it out like in two years or something like that. Yeah, I would hope that somebody who has the rights and the access is is going to to document the run out for. Leicester City, and and because if they do, I mean, if they don't win it, it's a great story considering where they are right now. But if they do win it, you're gonna want that behind the scenes stuff, and and, and to to be able, as you said, like behind the crest. I haven't seen any of any of that. I'm sure it's interesting. I, I do know that um, what's uh, the QPR documentary, Trevor, for a four year plan, which is fantastic. That had a lot of behind the scenes stuff. If they can get those cameras, and traditionally English football and European. Uh, uh, soccer clubs don't like giving that sort of access, but if they do, it'd be amazing. Right. <clears throat> yeah. Oh, and one more thing. Uh, your your show is way too early for us in the West Coast. <laughs> I know, man. I'm sorry. Yeah. Look, I, and I know it, it costs a little bit of money, but it's worth it to go to get the Sirius XM subscription so that you can you can jump on at the. Uh, it, it's from eight. It'll be from eight to ten your time. So that's better, right? Yeah, a bit. All, right. All right. Thanks, man. <laughs> Steve, appreciate it, man. Steve out in L.A. 646-832-3909 is a phone number. I'll take a couple more calls if you guys want to jump in here. And one thing we haven't talked about yet is the Premier League logo. Yeah, I know it's a logo. It doesn't have, it doesn't have any meaning whatsoever. It doesn't, it doesn't change anything about the, the way you watch the game. But man, everybody's got an opinion on this thing. Trevor, are you thumbs up or thumbs down on, on the Premier League logo? Which is now just, rather than the lion standing on top of the ball with his crown on, it's, it's just his head. It's just the lion's face. Trevor said it's a good design. It's, it's minimalist, I guess, or flat design or what. I mean, I don't know. Obviously, one of the things they show off about it, because this is the way things go now, is look at how it looks on all these different colors. You remember that? I mean, this was a major feature of the MLS change. MLS changed the logo and it was, Look at all these colors we can change it to. And it still looks good. And it's true. It does. And, and I, and I get it. I mean, the, if you have a, a black logo, you can fill in the background any color you want. Uh, I, I mean, it's fine. I like it. I thought, I thought Twitter was mildly funny about it because we got what, like references to every animated lion that's ever been on a big screen. I mean, uh, I referenced the lion from bed knobs and broomsticks. I saw somebody reference the lion from, I think it was, um, uh, I think it was, um, Paul Carr at ESPN referenced the lion from Robin Hood, uh, who was Prince John. You had the Lion King referenced m- many, many times. Uh, I saw, I saw, <laughs> I saw the lion from, from Wizard of the Wizard of Oz <laughs> referenced as well. Uh, so there you go. We, uh, we've got, uh, we've got a chance to make some jokes. To, uh, and look, it's a lion wearing a crown. I get it. I get it. It's weird. It's sort of, and there's no ball in there. And, and one, one thing I, I thought was interesting was the reaction in England, uh, in, in the, in, in Britain specifically seemed to trend in the direction of 
they're greedy and money grubbing and they're taking all our money and they don't care about the fans. And obviously the release of this logo comes in direct aftermath of the Liverpool walkout out over the, the ticket prices at Anfield. And yeah, what's it, uh, you know, that, that I, I get, I get why the Liverpool fans are upset. I mean, certainly it's within their rights as fans to express their disgust with the ticket prices if they don't believe they are fair. But the notion that the Premier League is now just about money isn't, isn't, a, it's not a new development, but sort of the, 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 the tenor around uh, the league is, is changing in a way that I think is, is interesting. I mean, certainly we do this with the NFL too. And guess is very much like the NFL in this country. No matter how much the NFL squeezes and squeezes and squeezes the consumer to get more money out of them, fans still show up. Fans still get to the games. They still buy the tickets. They still buy the gear. They still watch on television in, in massive record breaking numbers. And that seems to be the Premier League's thing too. And you wonder if one day, the bubble bursts. And I don't know, in, in, in the NFL world, the thing that we talk about most is potentially damaging the NFL and, and causing it to, to lose its place as the preeminent, uh, entertainment product in this country is, is something like a concussion, uh, a concussion, um, uh, issue where now there's not enough players or fans are, are leaving the game because of the violence involved, even though violence is the selling point for, for most Americans. I don't know if there's something like that for the Premier League, right? I mean, there's not a, there's not a controversy that's going to come up or controversy. It's going to come up that's going to damage the, the image of the Premier League any more than the Premier League's already damaged its own image by whatever, by, by, by milking fans for as much money as possible. Yeah. All right. Uh, phone, the phone lines have dried up. The phone calls have dried up. So I think this is a good uh, place to take our leave. Fantastic stuff from Luke Moore. From the football ramble, if you if you missed it, go back and listen to it. Um, uh, good stuff on the Premier League race, managerial situation, and a number of clubs. Always good to talk to Luke. Next time we get him on, we'll take some phone calls. Um, that's it, right? That's gonna do it. We've got um, iTunes ratings and reviews, all that stuff. You guys, I haven't asked you to do that for Soccer Morning in some time, but if you could go to to iTunes right now, just take a couple of minutes, go to iTunes. Give us a rating and a review. It's going to help the show. Uh, we kind of, I don't think I've ever pulled the curtain back this way. And I'm not sure Trevor would even want me to, but this show sort of suffers in terms of iTunes rankings and stuff, which I don't care about anymore. I used to, I'll admit it, but it kind of suffers because we're daily and the, the algorithms over at, at iTunes kind of punish you for the number of shows versus the number of downloads. It's a thing. Okay. Just so you know. I'm not saying this show is as popular as the top iTunes shows, but I feel like we'd be a little bit better off if um, if we weren't doing a daily show. But we want to do a daily show because that's the hook. That's why we're here. It's fun to talk soccer every day. All right, that's it. Uh, so iTunes ratings and reviews, um, that's really loud. What else? Trevor, anything else? No? We'll talk about this article at The Atlantic tomorrow, maybe. How this teacher is going to, s- to save American soccer or something to that effect. That'll be fun. So come back for that. See you then. Bye.